All right, church, it's good to be with you tonight. It is a great joy to be in this place, in this new facility that the Lord has blessed you with. I've known uh, Brother Flick for uh, some years, and as a pastor in uh, the state of Alabama, we supported the Flick family before, I think before they even came into South Africa, so for uh, quite a while. And so we've got a stake in this work, and in a manner of speaking, uh, been praying for this ministry for a long time. And then, of course, I'm sent out of Cornerstone Baptist Church, Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee. Uh, my pastor is Ron Ralph, and Cornerstone loves this church. And I don't know, I realize that uh, we're not acquainted personally, perhaps, by the, by the distance. Um, but it is a joy to be here tonight and to see what the Lord is doing. I have my son Owen with me. I'm thankful for Owen. He is, uh, if you if you pray pray for Owen, he is getting, We our family lives in Zimbabwe. We've been in uh, the city of Mutari for the last uh, 18 months or so. And um, uh, we're thankful to be there serving the Lord. Um, and now Owen is getting ready to transition back to the United States, uh, even after a short time with us there in Zimbabwe. So if you'd pray for him. Uh, our family would certainly appreciate that. I think that that's probably sufficient in the way of introductions for tonight. Let's turn together to Matthew chapter 28, and you already know what that text is about. I'm really not here to tell you anything new tonight. I mean, this church is already burdened about missions. This church is already interested in souls. Uh, I don't think, when you have a meeting like this, the, the objective is not to learn something new. Uh, the objective is to get stirred up about what you already know you're supposed to be doing. And so by the, by the Lord's help, uh, we want to get stirred up uh, in, in our time together in the Word of God about world missions. Uh, there's nothing greater that you can be a part of, really and truly. Uh, this, is, this is part of, this is why God's put you here. <laughs> this is why God's put you in this church, is for you to be a part of, of getting the gospel to the world. And I, 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 I'll, 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 give you this, I'll give you this introduction, okay? And uh, I, I was blessed by the, I, I went up and I, I, I caught up on the introductory messages for this, for this conference. I wanted to, as much as I could, to complement the theme that has already been introduced from Isaiah chapter 54. Um, the God of the whole earth. And... Um, you know, the Bible, the Bible is, a, is a book where it, it's got an endless number of devotional and practical applications to the Word of God, even, even for the same text. And um, uh, Pastor Mike preached uh, this past Sunday on that gospel tent and spreading out the curtains of that gospel tent to the uttermost parts of the earth. And, and I want to build on that in a slightly different way for, for our application, and we'll, we'll interact with that, with that text a bit more tomorrow. But I, I'm going to read our text, familiar text in a moment, in Matthew chapter 28. But what you studied uh, this, just this past Sunday was a passage that told you to spare not, to lengthen thy cords, and to strengthen thy stakes. And so you had an application about strengthening those states. And, and if we're going to enlarge this gospel tent, we've got to strengthen our stakes. And as was brought to your attention, Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 29, we use a hammer to put those stakes into the ground. 
so that that tent is stable and sturdy. And the, and the further out those, those, uh, that, that gospel tent stretches, the more important, the more significant those cords have to be, the stronger those stakes need to be. And so I'm going to, in our time together, I'm going to lengthen, uh, excuse me, I'm going to liken rather those stakes to the, to the biblical motives for missions. Now this is gonna be really, really actually very basic in terms of its content. But again, we don't need to learn something new. We need, to, we need to be refreshed and revived and encouraged to put into practice what we already know. And if we're going to fulfill our obligations in this, in this work of worldwide missions, then we need to be properly motivated in this work of missions. And so in our time together, as, as God allows me, I'm going to see if we can to look to the four corners of this gospel tent. And if we can't take the word of God and drive the stakes of some biblical motives for missions into the soil of each and every one of our hearts, in our time together so that we are properly motivated to carry out our job in getting the gospel to the world. And tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to look at two, two of those stakes, two of those motives for missions, and we're going to begin examining this from this familiar Great Commission. Now, we could look at any of the uh, several great commissions, as they're so-called, but we're going to look at probably the most familiar one in Matthew chapter 28. Would you look with me? Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, would you please meet with us tonight? Would you bless your word to the hearts of your people? Would you help me, God, to, to, to help your people? God, would you feel me, guide my thoughts? And uh, direct our hearts and minds to the word of God so that you can work in our hearts and minds to motivate us to be a part of what you're doing here in Poch, here in South Africa, across this continent and around the world. Lord, would you stir up your people tonight about the need of humanity, the lost and dying world around them and the command that you have given us uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ in these words. Please be our help tonight. We're desperate for you. Please help us, oh God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Now I trust, as Pastor said on Sunday, or perhaps it was the Sunday before, I trust that I'm in a place where there's no controversy about the binding nature of this commission on you and I. We have our marching orders. Hopefully this is not, it was a controversy in William Carey's day. As to whether this was still binding. You know, part of the, part of the uh, irony of that is that William Carey was a Baptist. And he was promoting the concept of world missions among other Baptists. And if you're looking for a mandate to baptize people, do you know where you would find that? <laughs> and this is, part of the, this is part of the argument that Carey made. You're a Baptist and you believe in baptizing people. But you rejected the rest of the passage? Going to the nations? What kind of sense? What? 
You see the, you see the, the, you see the inconsistency, the hypocrisy of picking one part of the passage and hanging on to it and saying that the nation's part isn't important. Well, I hope that there's no controversy among us about that issue. I, I think that we're all on the same page tonight that these still apply, these marching orders, as it were, still applies to the modern church, we could say, to the body of Christ in our day. We have a responsibility to go and to teach all nations. We have a responsibility to go, therefore, and preach the gospel to every creature. This is still binding upon you and I. But I think that this Great Commission, as we sometimes call it, is a very useful place for us to begin to strengthen these stakes of biblical motives for missions. Now, Christ sent his followers to teach all nations. Why? Because all nations are lost and without hope and without God in this world, they need the gospel. There's no nation on this earth that doesn't know, need to know, that doesn't need to know the message that Jesus Christ died for their sins and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. Christ sent us to preach the gospel to every creature because there is not a creature on this planet that is not lost in sin and in need of a Savior. Jesus Christ sent his followers forth to preach repentance and remission of sins beginning at Jerusalem to all nations because everybody needs to repent and everybody needs to have their sins dealt with. Amen. Jesus Christ sent his followers forth to be witnesses unto him, starting where they were at, moving out regionally and systematically all the way to the uttermost part of the earth because there is no corner of this planet where you can go where there are not needy sinners that are perishing in their sins for whom Christ shed his blood. So here's our starting place, okay? And it's not an unimportant one. It may not be the highest motive for missions, but bear with me, there are several of these. But the need of humanity should compel us to take this truth that has been committed to us and get it to a lost and dying world. You and I should have a compassion tonight for lost Sinners. That is a biblical motivation for missions. Now, this is not a theoretical thing. This is not a, this is not a Sunday school trivia question. Men and women are dying in their sins and going to hell all around us all the time. And God had one only begotten Son. And He sent that Son from heaven to earth to offer Himself as a sacrifice for the multitudes of lost, perishing sinners. See, if there was some other way, God would not would not have sent his son to endure the penalty and wrath of our sins. 
If there were some other option, I assure you, God, in his wisdom, if there were some other way to address the need of humanity, he would have pursued that other way. But there was no other way. And so God gave his son for our sins. For the sins of the world. For God so loved the what? The world. The world. Don't do a bunch of, don't do, don't do some kind of linguistic or philosophical gymnastics around that world, around that word rather. World. World. You're a part of it. I'm a part of it. Everybody you will meet for the rest of your life is a part of the world that God sent his son for. And Jesus said, and I trust that you believe his words tonight. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, what, pray tell, what does that mean? <laughs> Do you need a Greek education for that one? No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We call this the, ex the, the doctrine of the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven. Not, not one of the 30 million or so names that you might find in Hinduism. Not the name of Mohammed. Not the name of Buddha. Not the name of Confucius. Not the name of your favorite television prophet, apostle, pastor, etc. The name of Jesus Christ. That's the only name. And we have it. And this world around us does not understand the power in that name. Every, listen, there's coming a day when every knee is going to bow. And it is our charges to get the message, to get the name to humanity so that they can bow their knee in this life. Then instead of bowing it at the great white throne judgment. This is our task. There is one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. Now listen, I'm serving, I'm serving in a country, most of you are familiar with it, with 15 million religious people, the vast majority of them claim to be Christians. Something like 40% are apostolic Christians. We call it the white robes. It's a cult. It is. About 30% of them are professing Pentecostal Christians. And it's been permeated by the health, wealth, and prosperity heresy that makes Jesus Christ a genie in a bottle to fulfill your, your fleshly desires. And I'm telling you, I meet people, I meet people on a weekly basis that, that know or they claim to believe that the Bible is God's word, that Jesus is God's son, that he died and rose again, but they are shocked. I'm serious. I know this may be hard to, hard to believe. It shouldn't be hard to believe. If you're a witness for Jesus Christ, you're going to encounter people like this as well. They do not know that Jesus is the one mediator between God and men. And that's why they're going to prophets. Amen. That's why they're going to witch doctors. Because they're trying to find a mediator. There's one mediator. And we know who he is. 
And many, many people don't know. And how are they supposed to find out? Jesus already told us, we're supposed to tell them. This is, these are our marching orders. But until we are aware that these, that these multitudes around us day in and day out are lost and undone in their sin, I mean really lost, I mean hopelessly lost, and they are going to perish apart from faith in Christ. This is our duty to take this message Paul said he was charged to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. He wouldn't have said that if they were already in the light. But humanity is not in the light. They're in the spiritual darkness. Paul said his task was to turn them from the power of Satan unto God. They're not already God's children. They're literally under the power of Satan. (laughs) Paul said that they might receive Forgiveness of sins and inheritance among all them which are sanctified by faith that is in me, which means their sins separate them from God. Do you realize sinners are truly dead in their sins? That's why they need to be born again. that's That's not a clever religious click. Oh, I'm born again. We're yes, yes, there's a world around us. That are dead in trespasses and sins. They don't know God. They have no fellowship with God or His Son. They have no joy. They have no peace. They, and they have nothing of that for eternity. They go from Christless misery here to Christless misery in hell. Do we believe this church? It's a missions conference. I'm not trying to beat you up with this. I'm just, I'm just saying that I think from time to time, this is a truth that needs to all over again arrest our hearts. We need to realize that, that the lady at the coffee shop didn't just mess up your order. She's a sinner for whom Christ died. That, that, that contentious coworker of yours, yes, it's a challenge, but it's somebody that's going to perish in their sins. That student in the classroom with you, they're not just a name or a number or a grade or whatever. They are souls. Souls. And we have the power of God into salvation. We have it. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone. I believe that. To everyone that believeth. And then systematically following Romans 1.16 Paul goes through and shows us how all of humanity knows there's a creator and have ignored the creator. All of humanity has a conscience and has denied and disobeyed their conscience. Most of creation has some form of law. Most of the people around you in day-to-day life, they have some awareness that God said, thou shalt and thou shalt not. And they have never bothered to obey that law. And if they have bothered to obey that law, they failed miserably. And the only hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the glories of heaven to come down to this sin-cursed earth to bear our sins in His own body on the tree that He might reconcile us to God. 
And we are the ambassadors of this message. It's a Canadian pastor and writer years ago, L.E. Maxwell. He made this statement. He said, until these great facts fasten themselves upon us, we have no gospel. He said, if man is not an enemy, he needs no reconciliation. If not a slave, he needs no redemption. If not a sinner, he needs no forgiveness. If not dead in sins, he needs no life. If not depraved, he needs no holiness. If not polluted and filthy, he needs no cleansing. And you know, you know Maxwell wrote that in a generation in North America where there's some amazing things going on in world missions. This is on the tail end of the Philadelphian church age. I mean, this is, this is, this is, this is I mean, th there were great sacrifices made in that generation and, and, and just leading up to Mr. Maxwell. And, and I believe that as we reflect on missions history, and that's part of how this meeting started, if you recall. Pastors mentioned, mentioned William Carey. I believe he mentioned David Brainerd. I, I believe he mentioned the Moravians and, and perhaps others as well. And if you, if you will read those stories, if you, and you should, by the way, by the way, don't, don't waste another day reading another fiction novel. Don't, don't take some time. And, and you know where you can start? I don't know. I, you're not getting this permission from me. But I saw Christian Heroes Now and Then, a, a series of biographies. You need to, if you have to come up here and sit in a chair back there in the old building and read those stories. They're all about 200 pages and they're fantastic. They're written for kids. If you're 60, you'll love them. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I've read all of them. Our family has read all of them to our children. You should do that. Instead of watching television. Instead of just playing on your phone. It'll stir your heart. It'll be something that's profitable for you spiritually. But if you study the lives of these great Christians, these missionary heroes as we know them now, you will find that without exception, we're talking about men and women that were first, before they went to the uttermost, before they became missionary heroes as we know them, they were deeply possessed of the conviction that men are lost apart from Christ. I don't know of an exception to that. Robert Moffat who was so influential in this part of the world, who was the first person that I know of that took the gospel into modern-day Zimbabwe among the Indibele people. He, he said this, and, and he said this to a group of students in, in England. He said, Many a morning have I stood on the porch of my house and looking northward have seen the smoke arise from the villages that have never heard of Jesus Christ. I have seen at different times the smoke of a thousand villages, villages whose people are without Christ, without God, and without hope in the world. And do you know who was present for that talk? That's what they would have called it. A young man by the name of David Livingston. And that terminology, the smoke of a thousand villages, rolled around in young Livingston's heart. And God stirred him to take the gospel to the interior of Africa. At great cost. <laughs> Can you imagine sitting on one's porch and seeing smoke and thinking of sinners? That's not our orientation today. We, 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 we see smoke and we think of climate change. <laughs> ah. 
John Payton was a Scottish powerhouse. God used him mightily. He sacrificed. My, he, my did he sacrifice. He went to the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific. He started on the island of Tana. Do you know he and one other man with their own hands dug the graves for his young wife and infant child because they built their house in a that he had built their house in a malarial area he think he thought in retrospect that if he had just located his home at a higher elevation he probably wouldn't have lost his family and he lost it for the cause of the gospel and do you know what he was repaid for that the tannese tried to eat him literally they chased him until he relocated to the island of Aniwa. And on the island of Aniwa, he led every adult, reportedly, every adult on the island of Aniwa was saved. It's a powerful message. Get his autobiography. You, 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 you will do yourself a favor. But even, even as a young man, when he's working on the streets of Scotland, he said this, as he thought on the, as he thought on the, the uttermost, he said, the wail and claims of the heathen were constantly sounding in my ears. I saw them perishing for lack of knowledge of the true God and his son Jesus. How often does that permeate our meditations as we go about our day-to-day -day business? That's why we have a missions conference. So we can be reminded. Hudson Taylor, you've certainly heard of him founder of the China Inland Mission, years later in his own writings as he was describing what brought about the founding of the China Inland Mission, as he tells the Brighton Beach story as it's known, he says this, he said, the feeling of blood guiltiness became more and more intense, blood guiltiness. You remember Ezekiel, the watchman on the wall. You're going to end up, Paul borrowed that illustration in Acts chapter, seven, Acts chapter 20. He said, he said, I'm free from the blood of all men. How, how few of us could say such a thing? But Taylor said the feeling of blood guiltiness became more and more intense simply because I refused to ask them, talking about the laborers, seeking laborers. The laborers did not come forward, did not go out to China. And every day, tens of thousands were passing away to Christless graves. Perishing China so filled my heart and mind that there was no rest by day and little sleep by night till my health broke down. Where's that burden today? A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, wrote a hymn, a section of which reads this way, A hundred thousand souls a day are passing one by one away in Christless guilt and gloom. O church of Christ, what wilt thou say when in that awful judgment day they charge thee with thy doom. We knew a young, uh, well, they're, we're all getting older, aren't we? They, they were young when we knew them closely. The young couple that was in the Ukraine years ago, and the wife would, would sing. She would sing a cappella, simple songs, some of which she had written. I think that this is one that she wrote. And I'll tell you, to hear her sing it, and she sang fine. It was difficult. It was difficult to listen to. She would sing these words. Weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. 
unending torment is what hell will be. Yet when I see them who are going there, I don't even warn them as if I don't care. A burden for souls, Lord, a burden for souls. I ask you to give me a burden for souls. They're helpless and dying, and I should be crying. I ask you to give me a burden for souls. There is a lost world out there. That needs to call upon the God of the whole earth. In order to be saved. But how shall they call on him. In whom they have not believed. And how shall they believe on him. In whom they have not heard. And how shall they hear without a preacher. One more question in the series. How. Can we preach without being sent? And the answer brings us to our second stake. Bear with me tonight. We've already read the answer. You and I have been sent. You say, I don't remember God calling me. No, we're looking at this wrong. I read you the call. Now, now, I, I, I want to be careful about this. Let me, let me finish the quotation from, from Hudson Taylor, his, his Brighton Beach experience. He was, he was visiting a church. He was on furlough from China. He knew the great need of laborers on the inland, in, in, in inland China when all of the concentration of missionaries were on the coast, where it was safer. And, and he's in a, a, a large church service and everyone is singing the praises. And may I say to you, oh, how good, what good it has done my soul tonight to sing out of the great hymns of the faith. <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's my hymn book back home. <laughs> oh, and it stirred my heart. <laughs> ah, when the, song leader, when the song leader started into that first song, he hit the pulpit and I didn't recognize the drum back here. I was trying to figure out, wow, that, that pulpit. And then I figured it out. That's, I was relieved, actually. <laughs> Listen, it's a blessing to get together with God's people <laughs> and sing saved by the blood of the crucified one. But listen, listen, church, there's nowhere I'd rather be. There's nothing I'd rather sing. But this is the huddle. Because you could sing that every Sunday and never obey the commission that we started with. Do you know what Taylor said? Hudson Taylor said on Sunday, June 25th, 1865. He said, unable to bear the sight of a congregation of a thousand or more Christian people rejoicing in their own security while millions were perishing for lack of knowledge I wandered the sands alone in great spiritual pain 
And there the Lord conquered my unbelief. And I surrendered myself to God for this service. I told him that all the responsibility as to issues and consequences must rest with him. That as his servant, it was mine to obey and follow him. That's it, church. It's ours to obey and follow him. Of course there are difficulties. Of course there are complexities. Of course you have no idea what to expect when you open your mouth and, and speak the word of reconciliation. You could be, you could be mocked. You could be spit upon. I, I mean, I don't know. Probably not. Not, not likely. But there are places in the world where it's that way. And those people need the gospel too. We began the message tonight with uh, what we call the Great Commission. And in every place that it appears, it is a clear, and I mean a crystal clear, command from Christ to His people. And you know, our, when, when we speak of compassion for sinners, that's, that tends to be associated with emotions, and, and that ebbs and that flows. But you know what is, what is steady and, 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 and ever unchanging is the command of Christ I mean, when you're stirred up about souls or when, when you could care less if your neighbors go to hell. And, and it, listen, let, let's just be honest about it. It doesn't take you long to go to school with some pe people or be related to some people or work with some people to figure out they deserve to go to hell. Amen. Like you, like me. Amen. But you know when that dawns on you and your compassion takes a nosedive? <laughs> the command of Christ is still there. It doesn't require anything emotional. You know sometimes we just need to get back to rugged obedience to a clear command from Christ. Paul regarded the preaching of the gospel as a divine stewardship. He felt in his soul the woe of that God-given duty. Missions is not optional. James Gilmore, another missionary hero, served in Mongolia. He made this statement. He said this command. He was referring specifically to Mark 16, 15. He said, this command seems to me to be strictly a missionary injunction. And as far as I can see, those to whom it was first delivered regarded it, those to whom it was first delivered regarded it in that way, in that light. So that apart altogether from lower reasons, he said, my going forth is a matter of obedience to a plain command. Did you hear what he said? Now, there may be some controversy about this. Hear, hear me out. He said, and in place of seeking to assign a reason for going abroad. What, he, what he's saying is, instead of waiting for some sort of subjective, mysterious call. He said, I would prefer to say that I have failed to discover any reason why I should stay at home. <laughs> now look, look, let's just, sometimes we can overemphasize, overemphasize the geography, Okay. The, the task is the same no matter whether you're in South Africa or whether you're in Morocco or whether you're in China or whether you're in... It doesn't matter. 
The task is the same. You can overdo the geography. And perhaps Mr. Gilmore is just a bit too strong on this. On, on it. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure exactly. This is a long-standing controversy in, in missiology. And, and you get into whole, this whole thing about a call. But this is all I'm saying tonight. It is safer to begin with a clear scriptural command than to depend upon a subjective emotional call. Now that is not to say that some don't receive such a call, but that is not our starting point. And this is my point tonight. You have a command. You say, I haven't been called. That is immaterial. You have a command. You have a duty, a responsibility as a redeemed child of God. If you have been reconciled, then you have a command to be an ambassador for Christ with the word and ministry of reconciliation. Our roles in this great work of missions may differ. Some may go to Zambia, some may go to Zimbabwe, some may go to Russia, some may go to China. Some may, it, they're all different places where we deploy to, but our responsibility to the command is the same. Whether you pick up and move your family to another part of the world or not. You know, it's, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? When the apostles were, when the, excuse me, when the early saints under persecution in Acts chapter 8, you saw that Sunday about how that, that tent is spreading out. But when, when the disciples scattered under that persecution, you know who didn't go anywhere? The ones who were originally sent, strangely enough, including Peter. Peter heard the commission in Matthew chapter 28. He was there. Peter heard the commission to go and preach to every creature in Mark 16. He was present. Peter was there in Luke chapter 24 when the Lord told him to start in Jerusalem and preach repentance and remission of sins to all nations. Peter was there when Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, so send I you in John chapter 20. Peter was there before the ascension in Acts chapter 1 when he was told he was going to be a witness. Peter was told he was going to be a witness, not only at Jerusalem. And then in chapter 10, he's still not sure. I mean, isn't it true? He, he's, he's, still, he's still in a fog about his responsibility. And, he, and, and so God gives him a vision. And there's this sheet that comes down out of heaven. And God tells him plainly, Three times, what God hath cleansed, call that call not thou uncommon. Call that call not thou common. So, so look, it's a marvel when you think about it. He saw the vision. He saw the sheet three times before he went to Cornelius's house because he didn't think that Gentiles could be saved. So he got it: Matthew twenty-eight, Mark chapter sixteen, Luke chapter twenty-four, John chapter twenty, Acts chapter one, and three times in Acts chapter ten before he obeyed the commission. Eight times. And when we look at that, we say, wow, no. The question is, how many times are you going to hear it? <laughs> Do you know what's brought to my attention? This is, this is, this is curious. I'll, just, I'll pitch this out here. It's an interesting passage in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 where it says that, that God is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. To, to usward. Who is this? Is that to humanity? You could read it that way. But, you know, Peter's writing to somebody. 
In chapter 1, he's writing to somebody that, that has an incorruptible seed by which they're born again. Do you know, maybe the long-suffering of God in delaying his return to this earth is not so much for lost sinners, but for saints that haven't done their job. Long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. I think that'll do in the context why hasn't, why hasn't the Lord come? Because He's giving you an opportunity to witness to your neighbor. Because He's giving you an opportunity to evangelize your workplace. The Duke of Wellington one time was asked by a skeptical clergyman, does not your grace think it almost useless and extravagant to preach the gospel to the Hindus? And that was the mentality in that generation. And, and the, the Duke said this, he said, what are your marching orders, sir? In other words, the difficulties, what difference does that make? What difference? You've got a job to do. It's not as complicated as we make it. The French Foreign Legion had a saying, if I falter, push me on. That's what the missions conference is about. If I stumble, pick me up. If I retreat, if I retreat, shoot me. <laughs> Amen. You know, some of us have lost our savor. Some of us have hit our light. There's a great uh, American general by the name of Thomas Jackson. He, he began his career teaching at the Virginia Military Institute. And I love the story that's told about he'd called a young recruit into his office. It was late in the day. And then as soon as he, had the, he, he, he gave the instruction to the young recruit to sit down in his office and he was about to address him about something, and immediately one, a member of his staff came in and called him away and said, you know, Mr. Jackson, we, we, we need your attention right away. So he went and tended to that, to that more pressing, more urgent matter of business, and it was at the end of the day, and so he never returned to his office. He went home. He spent his, the evening with his family, and he came back to work the next day, and he walks into his office for the first time, and there's that young man sitting there. <laughs> Left right where he was. And he said, young man, have you been here all night? And he said, yes, sir. I didn't know what to do. So I just obeyed the last command you gave me. Do you ever feel that way? I don't know what to do. I know what you can do. You can do the thing that God gave you to do. That's why you're here. So let's get to it. I'm almost done. Let me share a couple of more stories with you, and I'm through. China Inland Mission. We're familiar with that one. The Sudan Interior Mission. Not as familiar, perhaps. It was founded by a, by a Canadian by the name of Roland Bingham. They also have a Christian hero now and then. Biography on Roland Bingham. Bingham and his dear friend Walter Gowen got burdened about the interior of the Sudan, which at that time, late 1800s, did not have one gospel preacher that anyone knew about, period, in the world. They yoked up with one other young man named Tom Watkins from the northeastern United States, and they got their passage. They started in Lagos, Nigeria, and they start inland. And, and lo and behold, Bingham gets so sick that he cannot continue the journey. He has to go back and try to recuperate in Lagos. And uh, Tom Watkins and Walter Goins go further afield. And pretty soon, Tom Watkins gets malaria. He gets so sick, he dies. Shortly thereafter, Walter Goins, after 
about with malnourishment. He almost starved to death. And because of complications, he also died. Roland Bingham is still there in Lagos. And his two partners in this great mission have perished without ever making it to the interior of the Sudan. Young Bingham had to go back to his native Canada to recuperate his health, first of all, and to get his bearings. That's a lot to endure. But his first order of business when he got back to his home was to go see his dear friend's mother. So he went to see Mrs. Goins. And the story is told that when he went to see Miss Goins, she greeted him with great affection as if he were her son. And she said to Roland Bingham, You may be worried about me, Mr. Bingham, but you need not be. I would rather have had Walter go out to the Sudan and die there all alone than have him home today disobeying the Lord. What devotion? What devotion is this? I'm not, I don't see much of that in our generation. We've got to get back to it. I think I'm done tonight. The stakes, compassion for sinners, the need of humanity, and obedience to Christ. We've got a commission to obey. Would you stand together with me tonight? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Someone's coming to play the piano softly. The pastor's going to come at this time. Let's, let's spend a little time in prayer tonight. You know, it's only polite. God deals with you, you ought to deal with him. If someone speaks to you, you ought to speak back to him. Maybe you'd like to come this evening, make use of this beautiful new altar of prayer that God's provided for you here. Maybe we need to do some self-examination this evening. Take the temperature of our compassion for sinners. A burden for souls, Lord, a burden for souls. I ask you to give me a burden for souls. But it's not just an emotional thing, church. We all have different temperaments. We've got a job to do. We have a commission to obey. Uh, missions is not an option. It's not an option for you. I mean, if, if, you're a, if you're a scholar, if you're grade six and born again, it's not an option for you. If you're a mother, a father, a grandparent, it's not an option for you. You've got to go or you've got to send a substitute. You've got to find a way to obey the command of Christ. God's dealt with your heart. You need to deal with Him tonight. You come, even now.
heard from God tonight. I'm sure you did too. Nothing new. What a reminder. What a, what a valid, what a great reminder. If you would just continue a moment in an attitude of prayer. Church, let it sink in. Let it really sink in. Do I feel about the lost the way that Christ wants me to feel about the lost? It is so easy to get caught up in the rat race that is life. That we begin to see men as trees instead of sinners that need to hear the gospel. That's the heartbeat of missions, is a burden for souls, an understanding of, of the desperate need all around. take just a few more moments I'm just enjoying the presence of God I hope that's all right with you I know you got to get home I, I, I know we're tired it's Friday night well I appreciate you folks being here what a blessing but right now there's nowhere else on this world on this planet I'd rather be than right here enjoying some time with the Lord with how great thou art playing in the background I'm tempted to just hang around and see if the trumpet will sound. First time I ever got exposed to preaching like this and on these kind of topics was strange to me. I grew up in a church that never talked about this kind of stuff. I wasn't challenged in these kind of ways. And it might be slightly a new thought. Maybe even seem extreme. Remember what they told William Carey? He preached about this stuff and they said you miserable, a miserable enthusiast. Said you're just taking it too far. You're you're just too stirred up, too worked up. You're taking it overboard. I don't know. I think Kerry probably got right where he needed to be. Would to God the rest of the church caught up. Lord help us. Father, oh Lord, thank you for meeting with us tonight. Thank you, God, for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for the wonderful fellowship we've been able to have around the Word with you, with each other, Lord. What a, what a wonderful evening, Father. I needed this. I needed the refreshing of this time. Lord, 
We're just getting started with this meeting. Please continue to meet with us, to speak to us, to remind us.